I'd like to begin this morning by telling a story. And it comes from a letter that I received this past week. And it tells a story about an event around the Jesus film. How many of you have ever heard of the Jesus film? So I'll just give you a little bit of background on this film. It was produced in 1979 by Campus Crusade for Christ. And it was the story of Jesus out of the Gospel of Luke. And the, the desire with this film was that people who are illiterate or of other languages that we don't speak would be able to hear the gospel message, the good news of eternal life uh, in their own native tongue, people that uh, may never have had that opportunity before. And so the film was produced, of course, in English. And then after that, they began to dub over the English in French and Spanish and Chinese and, and so forth. And of course, the, the, the larger languages, it wasn't too difficult, but they get people that would speak that language to, to dub, dub over the voices. And as time went on, they, they would take all of their equipment, these uh, workers, and go into jungles and regions far beyond well, what most of us would even know of or hear of. And they would work with these people and get them to speak the language and be the voices uh, to the voiceover on, on the Jesus film. And so this film now has been seen by 6 billion people. That's hard to imagine, isn't it? Every day, a million people in the world will watch the Jesus film in their own language. It's been shown in every country in the world but not to every people group. And so there are still languages, people groups there where they, these guys put the equipment on their backpacks and they march into these jungles and they will set that up and they'll spend months trying to produce this. And then, and then there will be a showing. And for the first time, most of these people for the very first time in their lives are going to hear the good news of why Jesus Christ came and the hope of eternal life. And so Steve Douglas, who's the president of Campus Crusade, shares this one story. I think most of you know that there are places in the world today where uh, if you openly profess faith in Jesus Christ, you'll be put to death. And we think, oh, that's that. Does that really happen today? That really happens today. I mean, we're brought to the reality of hearing about a journalist being beheaded, but this is happening all around the world by people who profess their faith in Christ. In fact, when Diane and I were in Orlando, we went through a, a display of the Jesus film, and there was, a, there was a wall about the size of the screen, and on this wall had dozens and dozens and dozens of pictures of people who had been killed because of the Jesus film project. Uh, all over the world in these jungles and villages, and these people had died trying to get this film produced. So I think there, there's a serious tone and a context. And so Steve Douglas writes, he's, he says, uh, and, and he can't uh, disclose the place, but a very dangerous place, a mountainous region in the world today where if you profess Christ openly, you will be put to death. They brought a DVD of the Jesus film to this mountainous area, and the team gathered about 250 people into a community hall. 
They plugged a small DVD player into a television already there and closed the windows for secrecy. It was crowded and tight, and the screen was relatively small, but everyone stayed and watched the entire Jesus film. When it came time for the team to give an invitation to allow people to receive Christ, another courageous act here that would get them killed, a man sitting on the floor stood, and he opened his shirt so all could see, strapped to his chest were explosives, a suicide vest. Panic set in. Wait, wait, don't leave. I'm not going to blow myself up. I need to tell you what just happened. It took several minutes to convince the people to stay, and at last they did. I heard you were going to show a blasphemous film. I went to my leaders, and they agreed you should all die. I strapped on this bomb and came to kill you all. But the film started... And I reached for the detonator and tried to push the button. But as I watched the film, Jesus turned and pointed right at me. He called my name and said, don't do that. Follow me. Over and over I tried. Every time I reached for the button, he pointed to me and said, don't do that. Follow me. My hand froze every time. I couldn't move my thumb. I gave up and just stayed to watch. Now... I believe. I want Jesus to be my Savior. Can you help me know more about him? The team leader said, yes, of course, but first you must take off that vest. (laughs) So the would-be suicide bomber went out from the building far away, took it off, disarming the explosives, and he returned, and the team prayed for him. But that's not all that happened. Remember that this is an extremely dangerous area, one intensely hostile to Christianity. Anyone leaving their traditions can expect to be killed. The Word of God contained in the Jesus film had just spoken to the people. It was a powerful experience as they had learned the truth of the gospel for the first time ever. Further, the people were amazed by this man's testimony. He was a radical who would stop at nothing They knew they had just seen a miracle. When the film leader asked who wanted to receive Christ and pray, every one of them did. All 250 people confessed Christ and were baptized, including the man in the suicide vest. You know, you hear a story like that and a story of Christianity, a story of God doing an amazing, amazing work. And you stop to think about the kind of Christianity that we are exposed to here in our comfortable setting. And this morning, what I would like to share with you is really what Jesus said. The very first words that he spoke when he began his public ministry. Most of us know that Jesus lived 30 years before he began his public ministry, and most people believe that that's because he would still be considered too young to have a voice, to be respected, to have authority. But he began at the age of 30, and the very first words he spoke were these, follow me, follow me. 
you think about those words. They're very simple, very profound, very deep. Those first words that he spoke to Peter and Andrew, then to James and John, we also find them being spoken to Matthew, the tax collector. But he said this, follow me. At the very end of his ministry, do you remember what he said? He said, go and make disciples of all nations. When I think of these first words and final words, they're both communicating the same thing. He says, come, follow me. This is really the, the meaning of the word disciple is one who follows, someone who follows a person's teaching. And so we use this word disciple, someone who follows the teaching. And Jesus said, I want you to follow me. His last words were, I want you to go make followers of me. And I look at this one word, disciple, and I think, what does it mean? It means one who follows the teaching. In the noun form, it really identifies who I am. If I were to, to try to, to express to another people group the nature of my Christianity, it would be this. I'm a follower of Jesus. So disciple defines who I am. But it also defines what I do. In the verb form, it, it is what we go do. We go and make disciples. And it's interesting that this same command that he gives, follow me and go make disciples, is absolutely consistent with what all of the Bible teaches. If you go back to the book of Deuteronomy in the Old Testament, and the command that is given to the people was this, to love the Lord with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And these things which are in your heart, you shall teach to your children. In other words, one, I want you to own it. I want you to own it to love the Lord with all of your heart and to teach your children to love the Lord with all their hearts. Now, typically, when we describe our religion, we give a list. We give a creed. We're going to give our doctrinal statement or our list of do's and don'ts or if you do all of these things and follow through with all of these things. But what's interesting about Christianity is that Jesus Christ is calling people to himself. Typically for us in our American Christianity, we would say, what is the most important thing? It is to become a Christian, to become a believer, and to know that you're going to heaven. I think that's probably a, a pretty profound question. If you ask a person, if you died today, where would you go? How do you know? Are you sure? Are you absolutely sure? It's a good question. Now, what does it take to know you're going to heaven? Well, the Bible is very clear about that. First, we understand that we're sinners. We know we've sinned. We're born sinners. We choose to sin. Not only are we sinners, there's nothing we can do to change that flawed condition. And so God, in His great love for us, sent His Son into this world to die for our sins, to pay the price his blood washes them away, as we sang just a moment ago. And he gives to us eternal life. And so this is what we'd say when a person believes that, yes, I know I'm a sinner. God, forgive me for my sins. I put my faith and trust in you alone. I believe 
you become a Christian. It's not by good works. It's not by church membership. It's not by doing a bunch of, uh, following a certain list. It is by believing upon Jesus Christ in simple childlike faith. That's all you need to do to become a Christian. And that's all you need to do to go to heaven. Now, I believe that with all of my heart. But what's interesting about what Jesus says, he's not asking people to become Christians. He's not saying, I want you to believe on me so you can go to heaven. He says this. He says, follow me. Follow me. Now, to me, that runs a lot deeper than just, do you believe? Are you a Christian? And in most groups of people, you say, how many of you want to go to heaven? How many want to go to heaven? How many, how many want to uh, be with Jesus for all eternity? But he didn't walk by the side of the Sea of Galilee and say, anybody want to go to heaven? Anybody want to believe on me? I'm the Messiah? No, he says something else. He says, follow me. When I think of those words, they challenge me. And I want to just stop and, and take some time to develop this idea. What does it mean to follow him? What does it mean to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus? And I would like to try to, to do this this morning. And I've tried to boil all my thoughts through this week because I've just been writing all kinds of things. But to boil down to five words that would describe what a true disciple is. Because this is, what, this is what Jesus is asking you to be. Okay? And this is what Jesus is asking you to do. He's asking you to be a disciple. In fact, I can't find anywhere in the New Testament where Jesus says, ask me into your heart. And that's it. Or just believe on me. He is calling people to follow him. So what are the marks of a true disciple? The first mark is this, relationship. Jesus Christ is calling Peter and Andrew and James and John and Matthew and all these disciples. You, you'll, you'll see this when he's walking along the Sea of Galilee and he says to them, follow me. He is calling them to a personal relationship. And this is what is unique about being a disciple, is discipleship in that day meant that you become mentored, you become part of someone's life. You don't just go to a class once a week, you become part of someone's life. It's a call to a personal, meaningful, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what He wants. That he, that's what He desires for you to have. And I think for many Christians today, that, that concept is so foreign to them. Even in our, what I would say, strong Christian churches today, people would say, well, you know, I asked Jesus into my heart, and I'm saved, and I know the doctrines of the faith, and I know the right things to do, and I know not to do the wrong things, and I go to church every Sunday. Well, folks, that isn't what a disciple is, someone who just goes to church every Sunday or reads their Bible every day or follows a particular creed or who has a very clear testimony of salvation. A true disciple is someone who has entered into a personal, meaningful, real relationship with Jesus Christ. And I'm not 
trying to make you doubt whether or not you're a Christian, because I think probably many of you are Christians. Probably most of you are Christians. But when you believe upon Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, that's not the end. That's just the beginning. That's like those fishermen dropping their nets, getting up, and following Him. Most of us would rather have you know, the list of things, because that's maybe more concrete. You know, give me the structure of the organization. But Jesus Christ is calling you to come be with him. Come follow me is to come be with me, and I want a personal relationship. I remember back when I was just uh, starting off into college, and that summer is the time that I knew that God wanted me to be in ministry. In other words, there was, a, there was a shift from my other plans to where something had put into my heart that I wanted to follow the Lord and to preach the gospel the rest of my life. I had no clue of what that looked like. And I remember when I, I was sitting in front of the dormitory in my car, and I was really overwhelmed with the thought of what that would entail. How do you prepare? Uh, there are a lot of fears that I had. And when I, when I finally grabbed my bags and uh, said goodbye to my dad, and I, I walked up into the steps into the dormitory, a guy met me there, and his name was Dick Fellers. And he was a senior. I was coming in as a freshman. And he said to me, he said, hey, can I help you with your bags? What's your room number? I said, sure. So we walked, walked up stairs, dropped my bags in the room, and he said, you know, it's about lunchtime. You want to go to lunch? Here was a senior asking a freshman to hang out with him. <laughs> I thought, this is really weird. And I remember back that I didn't even know anything at that time about discipleship, but, but basically what he did is something very simple. He invited me to come be with him, hang out with him. And what did we talk about? We talked about everything. And that for that entire year, before I even knew how to define discipleship, I was able to experience it. This is what we need to understand, is that true Christianity, real Christianity, is you entering into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. The second word that marks a disciple is the word humility. Or I might use the word brokenness, submission, humility. In fact, I don't think that you can have genuine Christianity unless there is a humbling of yourself, which is not easy for us. Now, you may not be the arrogant type that's always talking about yourself. You may be quietly proud, but most of us are not naturally humble. But it takes humility when you're, you're there, as my, my granddaughter always, always says when there's trouble going on, she says, I was just minding my own business. <laughs> well, it's like you think of, of Peter and Andrew and James and John. They're, they've got a fishing business going. And they're there by the seaside. And so when, when Jesus said, follow me, what are the implications of that? That means you drop your nets. You drop your livelihood. You drop what you're doing. You no longer have a world that's centered around you. You have a world that's centered around him. Most of us do very well following ourselves, following our passions, following our desires, doing what we want to do. 
But for us to be able to be completely following Jesus means that you need to submit your life to his authority. And I don't care who you are, that is not an easy thing. It demands a trust. And I think that some of the things that when you, when you look at what you have to believe in, you have to believe that he really loves you and that he has wisdom to know what's best for you and that he has all power to accomplish his will and then he knows what he's doing. It's like a, a child trusting a parent. Say, I can't connect all the dots. I haven't got all this figured out. But I think this is the thing that we have to get past to really be disciples, to really follow Jesus means that you need to subordinate your will, your ambitions, your desires, your agendas to him. There's just no other way to have a right relationship or to be a disciple. It was that way for the fishermen. Matthew was a tax collector. These people were not uh, well regarded in their day, but Jesus said the same thing. Come, follow me. What about the rich young ruler? The rich young ruler came to him and says, I want to follow you. Wherever you go, I will follow you. You notice how Jesus is always getting past the superficial to the heart. Most of us, our religion is out here. Most people's religion is out here. It's image management, okay? Image management that we kind of have a perception but Jesus will always go to the heart. So the rich young ruler who's got everything says, I will follow you wherever you go. And, and Jesus said, go sell everything you have and give the money to the poor and come follow me. Ouch. <laughs> Are you serious? Are you serious? Because he wanted him, when he says, I will follow you, to mean I will follow you wherever you go, whatever you do. Now, it is a paradox. If you save your life, you lose it. If you lose your life for my sake, Christ says you find it. And he says in Matthew 16, he says, if any man will come after me, in other words, follow me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So to deny ourselves, to say no to ourselves in a, in a world where we're saying to each other, have it your way, make yourself happy, Please yourself. So humility. Humility is a mark. Relationship, humility. The third word, obedience. The nature of follow me in obedience is every command he makes. In fact, when we get to the very last part of the Gospel of Matthew, when he's saying, go make disciples, and, and he qualifies that by saying, and teach them to observe everything I've commanded you. Teach them to observe everything that I've commanded you. So what are his words? What are his commands? We have those in the scriptures. He teaches us by his indwelling spirit. You know, when you become a Christian and believe upon Christ, the Bible teaches us that the Holy Spirit comes and takes up permanent residence in your life. He teaches you. So obedience is a part of the life. You know, it's interesting how people look at, look at obedience because there are, most religions will teach if you obey God, then you'll be accepted by God. If you obey God, 
you will be accepted by God. And so what they do is they spend their whole life trying to obey, trying to do. And you know what? You always fall short. So I obey God so I'll be accepted of God. But the reality is that this is we are accepted by Him, therefore we obey. Now we don't do it perfectly, but it's because what He has done that I obey. It's not a perf it's not a perfect thing. In Acts chapter thirteen, the the Lord describes this about King David. He said, I have chosen Jesse, the son of Jesse, David. He said, he is a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. Now, you remember the story of David? You remember David and Goliath? Do you remember some of the down, downsides of David's life? Okay, he murdered someone. He committed adultery and then he murdered someone. Those are kind of big crimes, aren't they? Even in our society, maybe adultery wouldn't be looked frowned upon by a lot of people, but murder certainly would be. So, so how could God say, David is a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. Did he do every little thing God wanted him to do? No, but it was the direction of his life. None of us are perfect, but, but the truth is that the, the whole of David's life kept on that track to follow the Lord. We stumble, we, we trip up, we fail, we fall short. In fact, I think probably this last week, most of us would say, you know what, I, I just, I didn't get it all right. We don't. But the trajectory of life is one of following Him in obedience. And what that produces is joy. Now, typically, when someone tells you something to do, you don't like it. I don't care if it's your mother, if it's your boss, uh, if it's your wife or your husband. When someone tells you something to do, we, we resist. But Jesus said this, if you know these things, happy are you if you do them. When we follow the Lord in obedience, there's joy. Number four is fruit. Now, when I, when I use this word fruit, most of us will understand that fruit is evidence. Uh, Jesus said in, in Matthew 7, he said, you'll know them by their fruits. So who's a, who's a Christian? Who's a real believer? Well, you'll know them by their fruit. Well, what kind of fruit? Well, that's described in Galatians chapter 5 when it talks about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. The fruit of genuine Christianity is not that you don't do drugs, or you do go to church every Sunday. That's not it. Most religions will be, be that way, but true Christianity, the, the overwhelming evidence that you are a genuine, authentic, real Christian, a, a follower of Jesus, is love. In fact, this is what Jesus said. He said this, this is how they'll know that you're my disciples. This is how they're going to know by the love that you have for one another. That's the evidence. And that is unique to Christianity. There's no other religion where, where that is going to be what we would say the evidence of authenticity. And that is rooted in relationship. 
What is the fruit? Do you remember the story about the house built on the rock and the house built on the sand? You picture in your mind of this when Jesus talked about the house built on the sand may look just like the house built on the rock. I mean, you could probably build something pretty nice on sand and look really good. But when the testing comes and, and truth is revealed, it's not going to last. And only upon the rock of Jesus Christ will that last. So the evidence, the fruit of a true disciple is that they are dominated by love. And I, and I, I don't want to digress too much, but there's plenty in the New Testament to describe what love look, looks like. It's patient. It's kind. You know, those first two really kind of just knock my legs out from under me because I'm thinking, patience, okay, we're done. <laughs> End of discussion because I'm not, I'm not real good that way. But the more time I spend with him, the more I become like him. Does that make sense? You can't do it with a textbook. You can't just, you're not just going to go into a room and, and I'm in this class or I'm taking this course or I'm going to this church. No, what's going to happen is you spend so much time in that relationship with Jesus Christ, you become like him. He's changing your life. And it's not from you just trying to follow a list. It's because your exposure to him starts to impact your life. And then finally, reproducing. Reproducing. A true disciple is going to reproduce. Because here we go all the way from chapter 4, verse 19, when he says, come follow me to the end, go make disciples. It's the same, it's the same thing. This is what I want. I want you to be followers of me. I want you to be my disciples. Now I want you to go make disciples. Now this is where I start to get overwhelmed. Oh, I can't do that. <laughs> Any of you think that way? When he says, go make disciples, and um, I'm thinking, I can't do that. Basically, what he's saying is, I want you to share from your experience with me this relationship. You go build relationships. It's all relational. But I still feel like I'm not equal to this task, to be able to, to, be able to share with someone else. I love the part of... Chapter 28, verses 19 and 20 says, go, go and make disciples of all nations. And the word nations means people groups. So it's not like the Jesus film. It's not just that you got all hundred and something countries. It's every language, every people group. Go and make disciples of all nations. I can't do that. I can't do that. And here's what he says at the very end. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So in fact is that I'm not just spending time with Christ, walking with Him, relationally building, knowing Him, having His whole person change my life. It's not that all of a sudden now, okay, I'm leaving Him and He's sending me to the ends of the earth. He's, he's saying, I want you to go now. I want you to make disciples of all nations and teach them to observe everything I've commanded you. And I'm with you. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Isn't that amazing? You're not doing it alone. And I think that probably 
Now, people will ask, you know, okay, if I make a disciple, okay, you get, what book would you recommend? Okay, we've got to go get a book. We've got to start a class. Oh, I can't do this. And I, probably the best way to describe how you make a disciple is when you get so excited about something, it's hard to shut you up, right? Do you remember what they were saying to uh, the disciples when they were, they, were, they were so just overwhelmed sharing the good news of eternal life? I mean, they're telling people about how they can know that they have eternal life and that Jesus came to die for their sins and He offers to them heaven and, and the resurrection has conquered sin it has conquered death and they're telling everyone. And the, religi- the religious leaders and the officials said, you've got to stop that. And what Peter said, we can't stop. <laughs> we can't stop because it is just so overflowing in our lives. It is just so pouring over. And I would say this, that real discipling ministry is the spillover of what God's doing in your life. It's the spillover. So when you focus on, I'm going to walk with Christ, I'm going to be His disciple, and God begins changing your life, opening your eyes to things, and you're growing, you won't be able to stop talking about it. And discipling someone else is as easy as this. Come along with me. I used to tell our students the college, as simple as this, hop in the truck. Hop in the truck. Where are we going? Oh, I've got a few things to do. Same way with Jesus back here. Come and follow me. Where are we going? We're doing life together. So when you invite someone else to come along with you, you don't need to have the master plan to have the agenda. You need, what you need, though, is an authentic Christianity. You yourself are following Christ, and it spills over. These words at the very end, when Jesus said, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We talked a little bit about baptism this morning. Baptism doesn't save anyone. It is a, is a, baptism is a physical expression of a spiritual reality. It is an identification with Christ. In other words, you're publicly, you're publicly letting people know, I'm identifying with Christ. And he says, teach them to observe everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Reproducing, reproducing. You know, I, I've, I've thought if I, if someone told me, okay, Matt, you got three and a half years, you got three and a half years for the whole world to know, what are you going to do? Well, I, I know this, my plan would be big. <laughs> I'd be thinking of structure and programs and thousands of people. And, and Jesus didn't do it that way. Jesus, did, he did it one life at a time, one life at a time. Now, if I were to say to you, you got a choice, I'll give you a million dollars cash right now, or I'll give you a penny, and I'll double it every day for a month. What would you take? I know some of you are probably trying to do the math here. <laughs> now, I know what I want to take. I want to take the cash right now, but you realize this is going to be ten times 
One penny doubled. And you look at the, the, the greatest opportunity we have to share the good news to the ends of the age is when it's a personal, it's coming from your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's real, it's authentic, and you can't shut up about it because it's just so, so exciting. <laughs> it's just spilling over all the time. And when that's happening one life at a time, the effect is exponential. It's explosive. And, that, and that's why you're going to see, it's not just the Jesus film, but all across the world, people's lives being changed by authentic, real Christianity. And I believe this, that in America, this is my, my thought, some of you probably agree with me, I think we're going to face some really tough times ahead. Now, I'm, I'm a very optimistic person. Uh, I always try to look at the best, but you know what? When I look at what's going on around the world and the threats to our nation, I believe this. We as, as a country, as a people, are, and as Christians are going to very soon come under intense, intense difficulty and persecution. So how do we respond to that? And I think what's going to happen is you're going to find that there's a lot of Christianity that's just superficial that's lists of doing do's and don'ts and people start to realize that that's not what Jesus calls us to is simple Christianity he calls us to follow him and you can he has given you everything you need to follow him and that's what I feel my heart and my passion as a pastor is to help you come to the place where your relationship with Jesus Christ is real it's authentic it's growing, it's dynamic, and you can't shut up about it. That's my prayer that we get to that place. So two questions that I'd like to leave with you. Number one, are you a disciple? Are you, are you, I didn't say are you a Christian. I didn't say do you believe in Jesus. I didn't say are you going to heaven. Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? And number two, who are you discipling? Who are you discipling? I think you look around, you see our kids. There are people all around. You say, well, I'm not qualified. Yes, you are. If God's done something for you and it's spilling over, you're qualified. And my prayer is this, that we be able to answer these questions in the affirmative and realize that these most comforting words in that responsibility is, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Let's bow together as we pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word and for challenging our hearts. We know sometimes we look at things so superficially and not deeply. So help us to consider your call and your commission to those you love. As our heads are bowed and and our eyes are closed. And, and I'm not really sure where you are in your relationship to, to God. But I know this, that God loves you. And even that, though you're a sinner, He still loves you. And He loves you so much that He sent His Son to die on a cross for your sins. 
And he offers to you the gift of eternal life. He rose again and he conquered death. And he's there for you. And he says, come. Be with me. Come. Follow me. That's where it begins. That's where it begins. And I believe if that's really happening, the go and make disciples just happens naturally because there's so much enthusiasm and so much excitement for what you have personally experienced. I want to ask you, how real is it? How real is it? Christianity, your relationship with God, how real is it? And you know this, that as pastors, as elders here in the church, we're here not to put pressure, human pressure on you, but to be available to help you walk through that, to come to know that, being a true disciple. So Lord, take your word and drive it deep into our hearts. Help us to come to experience the authentic Christianity being true disciples of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.